This podcast is a production of the Johns Hopkins University Press. To learn more, please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals. Thank you for tuning in to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. My name is Brian Shea, and I am the Public Relations and Advertising Manager in the Journals Division. In 2017, the journal Perspectives in Biology and Medicine published a pair of articles arguing in favor of attacks on soda. The two authors, Dr. Neil Baer, a television writer and producer and a pediatrician, and Dr. John Ma, a San Francisco-based surgeon, provided a concise history of the obesity epidemic and its connection to the, the consumption of soda in their articles. They joined us for separate interviews about the issue and why they feel tackling the problem of soda is important to the health of Americans now that the issue is in the news again. Dr. Neil Baer is a member of the Editorial Board for Perspectives in Biology and Medicine, an FSPH adjunct professor of Community Health Sciences and co-director of the Global Media Center for Social Impact at the Fielding School of Public Health at the University of California, Los Angeles. Bear previously served as writer and executive producer for the TV shows ER and Law and Order Special Victims Unit. How did your paper come about? Where did your involvement in this project come from? My involvement came out of my previous work on uh, childhood obesity as a pediatrician and also the work I did on a book called Soda Politics by Marion Nessel. I went to Marion several years ago and chatted with her about doing a book on the politics of soda. And she wrote this book that um, I helped in terms of uh, getting the data for it, which we had to pay for. <laughs> and I wrote the afterword for, for the book. And I learned such a great deal about the soda industry, its impact on obesity, and it's a very complex organization in terms of its interaction with government, government social policy, philanthropy, the environment, health, economic development, and it, it provides such a fascinating glimpse into the major contributors to obesity, and so I wanted to learn more. So I, I helped on this book, and I did the, um, the action steps for this book. So I have a web platform called actionlab.org, and I believe we're one of the first, if not the first, websites to provide interactive actions you can take while you read the book. Oh. When you read the book online, you can actually take the actions because they're integrated into the chapters. But if you're not reading the book, you can go on actionlab.org slash soda and you'll see a plethora of actions one can take to remove or decrease soda consumption from your home, your community, your schools, your hospitals, public places, government organizations, and we give activities and actions that people can take when they're inspired by different things they read in the book. Why was Perspectives the right place for what you and Dr. Ma were doing? Well, I'm uh, on the editorial board, uh, thanks to the graciousness of Martha Montello, who's the editor. Martha is a renowned bioethicist mm -hmm. and writer, and she was my professor at Harvard Medical School oh, okay. in a course that I took on social, it was, in a, it was in a department of social medicine and it was writing stories and narratives about medicine. And in my class with me was 
Atul Gawande. He was two years ahead of me. So that's how I met Atul, who's, of course, a phenomenal storyteller. So Martha and I have stayed in touch over the years. I mean, after I left Harvard, I went to the show ER as a writer. So I'd been a writer before medical school, and I went back to write again and be a physician uh, after medical school. So we stayed in touch, and she told me about perspectives, and I actually wrote a piece for her and her group at Harvard on um, the ethics of having cameras the emergency department for the Journal of uh, Clinical Ethics, and I enjoyed that so much I said I'd like to be more involved, and when she took on the uh, editorship of PBM, she asked me to do some, some work, and I'm actually working on some other projects with her right now for the journal. So I know John Ma, uh, who's a terrific surgeon at UCSF, who also went to Harvard Medical School a few years ahead of me. And he's been very involved in the soda politics of Northern California and taxes in San Francisco and Oakland and so and Berkeley. So I wanted, I thought that he could give us a real uh, clear view of what's going on from his perspective as a surgeon. The news that soda is bad for us is it's not new. How did it become such a complex problem uh, that that people are have difficulty coming to grips with. I'm teaching a freshman seminar at UCLA on soda politics, and oh. I have these terrific college students that we're talking about this right now. So it's a it's a, an amazing product in that it costs very little to make, and that cost has been moved on to the consumer or to the public in many different ways. But Coke has been ingenious in doing this. There's a wonderful book called Citizen Coke that's come out that talks about Coca-Cola capitalism, and Coke has been profoundly effective in, you know, they don't cost us mining the aluminum for their cans or making the glassware for their bottles or growing the sugar cane or the sugar beets or the corn for their, for their sugar, and water is cheap and paid for by the public often, so they have, in a sense, franchised out or outsourced a lot of the cost of their product. So they make a, a product that costs pennies. It's essentially water, sugar, flavor, carbonated water. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry for a product that has absolutely no nutritional value whatsoever. And as we're learning from many studies, a major contributor to childhood obesity, top, the number one contributor, according to Kelly Grinnell, a renowned academic who's the, the dean of Duke Public's who are at higher risk 
risk of obesity rates because they don't always have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And these foods are cheaper and they last and you can store them. And, you know, pretty much now anything that you can store for a long period of time that's processed is probably not good for you. It's probably loaded with salt, sugar, and fat. And um, we also know from some remarkable studies that were done in the 60s that the sugar industry paid off Harvard researchers to write articles for the New England Journal that fat was the culprit in diet and obesity, not sugar. And that really had a profound influence on physicians who gave the advice to their to their patients to eat margarine and really, you know, reduce fat intake. And it was completely the wrong health information. Margarine is not good for you. Um, fats are not bad for you. Certain fats, uh, trans fats are bad for you. Margarine is bad for you. Everything that those articles said were wrong. And that came out of the sugar industry paying these researchers to do these studies. And this was all uncovered and published in JAMA when, when a researcher was going through files, I believe, in, in, at UCSF. I believe it was there. So, so we are fighting a story that's been ongoing for years and years and years that sugar is natural, sugar is healthy, and yeah, it's natural. It comes from corn and, and sugar beets, but it is processed. And we do know that, it, that high fructose corn syrup raises your triglycerides. There's a, a major study of men, over 48,000 from Harvard School of Public Health, that shows that men who drank one sweetened soda a day had a 20% increase in heart disease. I didn't make up the numbers. <laughs> right. So something's going on. Sugar is at the is at the um, is at the base of it, and sodas inject sugar in a way that no other food does because it liquefies. It's liquid candy. It doesn't. You're not satiated when you drink it, and you can drink copious amounts and have no idea the number of calories and grams of sugar you're consuming. And you had talked about in your article the relationship to all this with SNAP benefits and trying to stop that as a source of yeah. these kinds of yeah. foods. Well, it's it just, again, it's a question of money. So if you go into any drugstore, you will see that they take EBT or SNAP, which, is, which was formerly called food stamps. And you cannot use food stamps to buy alcohol, cigarettes, or prepared food. So my argument is why are you allowed to buy things that are harmful for you? And the, the industry is, well, we want to give consumers choice. It's not fair to punish them. But we're turning drugstores and DVSs and Rite Aids into markets for bad food. You can find some good food along the side in the refrigerator case because by law they have to sell some good food, and then you can find the whole aisle devoted to cookies and crackers and chips, the whole aisle devoted to candy, the whole aisle devoted to soda, and those all can be purchased with SNAP. So this is not an equal playing field. This notion of, you know, giving consumers what they want is spurious because if, if consumers weren't influenced by profound and powerful narratives from the soda industry, I might say, yeah, you know, People really are making free choices, but they're not making free, so-called free choices. They are influenced in, you know, a multitude of ways. My students, for one of their assignments at UCLA, have to spend the day looking around them and recording everywhere they see soda. And they are all shocked at its ubiquity. They see it on T-shirts. They see it emblazed on the walls. Uh, they see it with that it accompanies meals. They see that Coca-Cola has pouring rights. They didn't know that 
example, at UCLA. And the reason is, is that Coke pays UCLA about over $15 million for 10 years for uh, soda rights that are exclusive so that they sell only Coke products, the donkey water and things like that at uh, UCLA. So for a university that prides itself on saying it's a smoke-free, healthy environment, it's not as healthy as they're uh, claiming it right. to be. It's promoting uh, a product that has unhealthful benefits. And, and no one's arguing that it's wrong to drink a soda you know, once in a while as a treat, but soda is layered uh, everywhere at UCLA because of these, these pouring rights. And then it's sweetened in its own way through philanthropy where they, quote, give back some of the money, not the billions that they make in profit. So it is just this, this amazing institution, organization, product, corporation that is selling something that's not necessary for one's health, but it's telling a story of why you want it because it will make you happy, sexy, joyful. It will be great at Christmas. It reminds you of Santa and all the ways that sodas have been advertised through very emotional narratives. Dr. John Ma serves as Chief of the Division of General and Acute Care Surgery at Marin General Hospital, as well as the President of the San Francisco Marin Medical Society. He has testified in support of soda taxes in Northern California. Thanks for joining me today, John. Tell me, how did the paper come about? How did your involvement with Perspectives and this topic uh, come to fruition? Thank you, Brian, and to Johns Hopkins for hosting this conversation. Neil and I had the opportunity to deliver grand rounds in the UCSF Department of Surgery in 2012 on the topic of strengthening emergency care. We've kept in touch in the intervening years for projects in tobacco control, sugary drink legislation, and in the public health. I was honored to be asked by the editors of the Perspectives in Biology and Medicine to share my insights from the 2014 and 2016 San Francisco soda tax campaigns, which I had been extensively involved with on behalf of the American Heart Association and the San Francisco Medical Society, two organizations that strongly supported the soda taxes. It took me about two months to prepare the article. It's a summary of nearly 15 years of work on these topics and insights gleaned from clinical surgery, American Heart Association presentations, radio debates, press conferences, city hall testimony, and newspaper articles I had contributed towards during the Prop E and Prop V soda tax campaign. The news that soda is bad for you, that's nothing new. Why is it so hard to address when it's so commonly known? The problem is so hard to address because it is one of awareness. The great hazard of sugary drinks is invisible. It is the sugar and high fructose corn syrup that is dissolved within. The industry has portrayed sugary drinks through heavy advertising to be a source of happiness, hydration, and refreshment that is consumed by famous celebrities, athletes, singers, without any apparent adverse health effects. The reality is a sugary drink is sweet in flavor, and many would understandably prefer to drink a sugary beverage than plain water if they had the choice. The prices are often comparable, and consumers standing in a convenience store aisle can't visualize the increased risks of obesity, diabetes, and tooth decay that result from choosing the sugar-sweetened beverage. The danger is dissolved, and the two drinks look similar. There is no warning label, public service announcement, or person standing over them warning them of the health risks of their choice. Consider this. The average 12-ounce soda has 10 teaspoons of sugar dissolved within the average packet of sugar has one teaspoon of sugar. Imagine if you were in a cafe later today and you saw someone purchase a 12-ounce cup of coffee and then empty 10 packets of sugar into that cup one by one. 
you'd probably think that is not a very good idea. And you might even say something to protect their health. I was fortunate that the person who always scolded me <laughs> away from drinking soda was my mother, who actually previously had worked for Frito-Lay in the 1970s. You're right. That If I saw someone do that, I'd be a little disturbed, I guess. <laughs> um, I think that would be a visual that would help people understand <laughs> right, exactly. what they're doing when they drink a sugary drink. Being involved in soda tax issues, where do you think that trend is heading? It obviously gets some people very up in arms, but it also has had some success. Yes, I believe that the trend of soda taxes in America have caught fire. We've seen a series of waves. First was the successes in Mexico and in Berkeley. It was a challenging effort until Philadelphia. And the second wave arrived with the victories in Oakland, San Francisco, Albany, as well as Boulder and Cook County. Seattle was another win in the third wave, and Portland is up next. Many cities across America are in the planning phase. The successes have continued in the most liberal of cities, as described by a soda industry spokesperson, and I anticipate that these efforts will continue nationally, and the major next step will be the passage of a statewide soda tax. In parallel, I believe that soda taxes will serve as the catalyst for the creation of statewide soda warning labels. I do also anticipate that there will be challenges by the industry through litigation or referendum to try to repeal these soda taxes, and it's a matter that ultimately may be destined for the United States Supreme Court. You had mentioned, I was going to ask Dr. Bear about the SNAP benefits, and did you have some feeling, thoughts about that? You, um, I don't know if you want to talk about that, too. Absolutely. Dr. Bear feels very strongly that exempting soda from SNAP benefits is essential. I agree and believe that this is a question of federal public policy, largely for the current White House administration, to guide us forward. I did wish to share that the American Medical Association has weighed in on this topic. They prepared a resolution a few years ago to harmonize SNAP food offerings with those of supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children, also known as WIC. And so the American Medical Association has proposed an intermediate step, which will seek to remove sugary drinks from WIC first mm -hmm. as a pathway to removing them from SNAP. How did perspectives, you said they reached out to you, but what makes them the right venue for this kind of conversation? There's so many journals who could probably cover this topic, but what made this one a great area or a great venue for you to share the information? Thank you. The readership of perspectives is ideal as it represents an educated audience who can incorporate and implement the messages from the papers in health and advocacy efforts in the future. Johns Hopkins is the home of the Bloomberg School of Public Health and the Global Obesity Prevention Center. These efforts in soda taxes have succeeded due to Mayor Michael Lumberg. I believe that this is the perfect journal and that these articles are a tribute to his extraordinary efforts in public health advocacy, which we'll also be recognizing with an American Heart Association National Award to be presented to Mayor Blumberg. Thank you for listening to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. Please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals for more information.